I am delighted to have Dr. Janet Dewitt Bell back on this program. How are you today? I'm doing great, Tavis, <laughs> and it's always a pleasure and an honor to be with you. And uh, your last guest, uh, Ms. McClain, was, was very sobering. Yes. And the women in my book, Blackbird Singing, really their inspiring speeches from the Civil War to the 21st century are sobering. Their words are sobering, but they're full of hope, and they're, and they're full their prophecy really is something that if we listen to, it's not too late. But, you know, as the uh, doomsday clock keeps going uh, less than two, two minutes now, I think, that I saw the other day. Yeah. You know, we really have to pay attention to what these women have said and are saying. Tell me about the book Blackbird Singing. Okay. The book is really, uh, it, it's, it's a taste, I say that, because it's 28 speeches. And there are so many more things that black women had to say. You know, we ha like you always say, we have a lot to talk about. Mm -hmm. We had a lot to talk about, but we didn't have the opportunity. And I've expand the, expanded the definition of speeches because some of these things were writings that were not actually said in a large public setting, as we would call speeches, because we were inhibited from doing that, forbidden from doing that, and criticized for doing that. Seems like familiar themes, if I mm -hmm. might say. So what, what inspired this book was listening to, um, you know, first of all, my lifetime of social justice activism, which you know about, mm -hmm. but um, from someone who's seen all of the great social justice movements of our times and who's been involved in those, I really wanted to highlight what black women had to say over the years. You know, our, our songs of freedom are not recent. We've been doing that since slavery. We we knew that we that we wanted to achieve freedom. It was not just about as a friend of mine says it was not about civil rights. It was about human rights and freedom and we knew that. So this this is what the book is about and there's some people in there who are well known and some who are lesser known and some frankly I hadn't heard about until I started doing the research for the book. Mm -hmm. um, what I, I just um, uh, earlier today, uh, as a matter of fact, we started this program in our first hour mm -hmm. uh, in conversation with uh, Corinne Jean Pierre, the first African American, yeah. as you know, to be press secretary in the White House. Certainly, uh -huh. the first African American woman to to, uh, to have that esteemed position. And I had a chance to ask her a few questions about how it feels and how she's navigating being a black woman behind that podium, trying to navigate every day through this. Uh, this maze of White House correspondence and all their pushback and all their tough questions. She's a big girl. She can handle it. But it just reminds me, again, as we commence uh, Black History Month tomorrow, the first day of February, that uh, that black women uh, have always had their say, even when people turn deaf ears to what they were saying. What is it that you think? Uh, what, my, my, I'm watching my clock. Let me do this. I'm about to ask a question. And I see now you only have 20 seconds to respond. That ain't fair to you. So let me let me let me frame where I want to go. Uh, Dr. Janet Dewitt Bell, and we'll get your take on the other side. Um, I want to I want to hear from you in this moment, in this moment, what it is that the nation would do well to hear from the voices of black women. You can connect that answer in real time to those voices from the past that you highlight in this new book, Black Bird Singing. But what is it that the country would do well to hear right now in this critical moment, given all that we're up against, specifically from black women? We'll hear from one black woman, Dr. Janet Dewitt Bell, in response to that when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. Interrogating and unpacking. That's what we do around here. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Smiley. 
trust to get at the truth. Tavis Smiley. That's who. The conversation continues right now. It does indeed with Dr. Janet Dewart Bell. Her new book is called Blackbird Singing, Inspiring Black Women's Speeches from the Civil War to the 21st Century. I am honored to have her on. Um, the question I posed a moment ago, let's jump into that, uh, uh, Dr. Janet Dewart Bell. What is it that the country in this critical moment, and I don't need to unpack that for you, would do well to hear from the voices of black women in real time or, for that matter, from the voices of black women in this text? Yes, it's been a consistent theme of black women who've been speaking out. And that is, and I carried it forward from my previous book, Lighting the Fires of Freedom. Mm -hmm. When you look at the black women, they speak with authenticity, courage, and purpose. You know, it's hard to summarize, but we start there. But they also speak with love and with commitment to everyone. They're struggles for freedom and their fights for freedom are are fights that lift all boats. It's not a narrow fight. I I would say I I describe myself as a black feminist. Mm -hmm. By that, I am a feminist, but but I have no beef with black men or with anyone else, really, other than to say that I the struggle that black women have is the same struggle that black men have. Mm-hmm. And so we we have to move forward as partners, as I did with my late husband, Professor Derek Bell. I always have to lift him up, mm-hmm. of, course. of course. But I think, but the women who who spoke really spoke out, and they spoke out, and, and if you... And if we listen to listen carefully, and I'm sure you did, but others as well, to judge at now Justice Katanji Brown Jackson when those Lilliputians were trying to put her down, they were trying <laughs> to really diminish her. They didn't. They, they. It was not a question about qualifications. It's mm-hmm. not a question about qualifications for gay and others. It's a question that they're trying to use the fact, just in terms of race and sex, to diminish people, to put them down, to destroy what they have to say. But as Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson spoke, she would she would by, obey the rule of law without fear or favor. And when you look at these women, many of whom did not have the opportunity to have the same kind of education that you and I have had and that Judge Jackson and others have had, they were self-educated. They had phenomenal memories <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because they, some of them could, not all of them, but if you go back to Sojourner Truth, who could not read or write, but she, her, she spoke with such eloquence and, um, uh, uh, and power that you just had to listen to what she said. And, and so often her contribution is reduced to, uh, ain't I a woman, but uh, some people, uh, the historian Nell Painter and others would say that she really said, because she was well-spoken, aren't I a woman? Mm-hmm. And she, and because that's the way people would argue that people spoke during that time. So you have Sojourner Truth, who, by the way, that that's the cover of Blackbirds Singing. Mm-hmm. She is really the, oh, I see it, yes. she, yeah, she is the genesis of, of the spirit of this book. And so it's just, she, she says that when she comes out to say, quote, a mite about women's rights. She said, I'm sitting among you to watch, and every once in a while I'll come out and tell you what time of night it is. Some people will say, what, you know, what 
kind of day it is. But, you know, because the lives of Sojourner Truth and Harriet Tubman overlap, people often confuse them or conflate their stories. But their contributions, as were the, as are the stories of the other women in Blackbirds, are very distinct. And I just, if you... If you would allow me, I just wanted to read just a little section Please. from uh, what was recorded by uh, her historian Sarah Hopkins Bradford, who wrote Harriet, the Moses of her people, in a successful effort to raise funds to save Harriet Tubman's house when she was in danger of losing it in 1886. And these, this is a direct quote from the book. For, said she, I had reasoned this out of my mind. There was one of two things I had a right to, liberty or death. If I could not have one, I would have the other. For no man should take me alive. I should fight for my liberty as long as my strength lasted. And when the time came for me to go, the Lord would let them take me. And so, without money and without friends, she started on through unknown regions walking by night, hiding by day, but always conscious of an invisible pillar of cloud by day and of fire by night, under the guidance of which she journeyed or rested. Mm. And to know that the dangers that she was in, which is the dangers people were uh, had in the Civil Rights Movement and as we fought for black freedom in this country, it says, she, she went on to say, without knowing whom to trust, or how near the pursuers might be. This is, us, us, this is uh, the author writing about her, saying, She carefully felt her way, and by her native cunning, or by God-given wisdom, she managed to apply to the right people for food, and sometimes for shelter, though often her bed was only the cold ground, and her watcher the stars at night. Mm. These women were de- are determined, and they set the foundation mm-hmm. for other women over the centuries, over the decades, and, I, and what they had to say, and what little we were written about them at that time, there was there was could have been much more. You know, we need to pay heed to because they were not taking um, uh, they they were not taking their lives or the lives of their people for granted. By that, they fought against oppression, and they knew that they had to. Uh, that that was not just about them, it was about the future. So when you say, what should we pay attention to now, and your campaign for climate justice is right on point. It's not just about us. It's mm-hmm. never just been about us, the contemporary people. It's That's about right. the future of our children of our earth. Yeah. Um, I, I love that passage you read. I'm, I'm so glad you took the liberty to do so. Uh, I'm, I'm sitting here with goosebumps just listening to you uh, read oh, that. That's so nice. <laughs> no, read, read that passage. Let me ask this question. I, you mentioned your your, yeah. your, your, your husband, your the, the late, great Derek Bell. I want to come back to that in just a second. I've got a couple questions I want to ask about that. Um, of course. But I, I, I did an anthology myself some years ago, and it came down to who we were going to put on the cover of this book. Uh, and you're, you you have this book uh, focusing on all these brilliant people, and somebody's got to be on the cover. So mm-hmm. of all the women you could have chosen to put on the cover, you chose for this book, Blackbird Singing, um, Sojourner Truth. Um, mm-hmm. you, you mentioned that a moment ago. Tell me why and how you came to that decision to put her on the cover. Partly, it's some she 
it's her image that I look at every day. The cover is actually uh, part of a sculpture that I have in my apartment, mm-hmm. which is an inspiration to me because I look at that. It's a, it's stylized, of course, mm-hmm. but but what it says to me is, as Martin Luther King says. You don't have to have money. That's you don't right. have a degree. That's right. You know, what you have to have is a commitment, mm-hmm. and you have to have a heart full of love. And the, of, of the people, and I think without, there's, um, I pro- we probably know less of her in some ways than we, do of, than we do of some other people in the book. But I think it's not, it's not just her as a woman, which she was, and we have to remember these are real flesh and blood women but also a spirit and inspiration, and I think, I think God-given, yeah. a God-given prophet. No. And that's why I chose her for the book. I figured no one could really argue with that choice. It was a pretty good choice. <laughs> no, it's, it's hard to argue with Sojourner Truth on the cover of a book called Blackbird Singing. You can't argue with that at all. Um, and I'm glad you chose it. I just I was just curious as to all the person. Of you, course. I mean, you, you, you were talking moments ago about Harriet Tubman, so you could have put Harriet Tubman on the cover for that matter. Um, that's true. You but, you, I could have done, done that. No, but and I love... I could have done that as well. No, but I love the, I love the choice. I just wanted to know how, how you came to that and, and, and you answered that question. Let me circle back now. To Derek Bell, who you referenced earlier, uh, your name, of course, is Janet Dewitt Bell. Uh, her husband mm-hmm. uh, was the late great uh, Derek Bell, the father of uh, critical race theory. Uh, and um, you mentioned his name, and it made me think about a couple of things. You, mm-hmm. you described yourself as a black feminist, and you defined what you meant by that term. Yes. But as you said that, um, Janet Dewitt Bell, I'm thinking about your husband. I'm thinking about Derek Bell, and how this black male. Um, was was a black feminist himself <laughs> in the sense that in the sense that he left Harvard. Now, for those who know his backstory, he's not just the the father of critical race theory, and that's that alone is enough. A brilliant, brilliant thinker. But for those who don't know this backstory, Derek Bell left Harvard as a tenured law professor uh, because he would not give tenure to a black woman. That black woman eventually became Lonnie Guineer. But he left Harvard over a principled position, a principled stance about why they would not tenure a black professor at the Harvard Law School. But Harvard wasn't the first time he had done that. He did that at the University of Oregon. University of Oregon did the same thing. As I recall, it was an Asian-American woman uh, that he stood up for at at Oregon. So in many respects, uh, while you are a black feminist, you were married to a man who was also a black feminist in the sense that he stood up for women's rights. Um, How and why I mean, where did that come from, that that sort of contribution, that sort of commitment, that courage, that character to put his own career on the line in defense of women? That's Derek Bell. Tell me about that. Well, his mother was really uh, a force to be reckoned with. His father, too. His father was was a philosopher in one sense, and I'll I'll say something about him in a second, but Mm -hmm. his mother was the one who really was the more vocal and outspoken person. Uh, their parents raised four uh, black children in the, in the, during Depression and around when World War II era. You know, Derek was born mm-hmm. uh, in 1930, and all four went to college. That, that was, and the parents did not graduate from college. The, the father worked two jobs at, to to support the family, but really from Derek's mother and Derek's first wife. I, I, I give her the praise. 
Jewel Herstenbow, who, mm-hmm. uh, who Derek, D- Derek was funny. He used to say he doesn't know, didn't know anything about uh, dating. After Jewel died, he and I met, and then we got married relatively shortly after, because Jewel said, you know, you don't know anything about being out here by yourself. You need a partner. <laughs> and so she not only gave him permission to remarry, she gave him instruction. So I would say the two, the, those were two. And then the third, he had the good fortune when he went to work for the NAACP Legal Defense Fund to work for a few great people, Robert L. Carter. He worked for he, uh, Thurgood Marshall, the one that that plucked him out of Pittsburgh and said, "You need to come up." And Thurgood, with his, you know, Thurgood was a great Thurgood Marshall. I never called him Thurgood; I always called him Mr. Justice Marshall. Let's be honest here. <laughs> sure. uh, but uh, but he, um, but at that time, everyone would call him Thurgood. And he and he said to Derek, "You know, what's a boy like you doing in Pittsburgh? Not in a lo- lawyer job. You need to come to New York." So after that, you know, when when the NACP, a legal defense fund, hired the great Constance Baker Motley as their first mm-hmm. attorney. Uh, that was Derek's mentor. So he, so you, you can't go wrong with those three mentors, yeah. but of the three women who were the strongest in his life before me, mm-hmm. <laughs> that would be his mother, Jewel Harrison Bell, and Constance Baker Motley. Uh, and so if you, if you look uh, in, the, in the back of some of those photographs of the integration of the universities of Georgia and Mississippi, you will see a very young and quite handsome Derek Bell, mm-hmm. who, <laughs> who, was in a, who was the uh, a young associate at that time. So that's what forged that. And he, uh, and he never had any doubt about his own uh, capabilities. And that's the kind of thing that, that when you look at the people are trying to do now, trying to make us feel that no matter what we do, we're just not good enough. And Derek had the kinds of parents and uh, kind of upbringing that said, you're as good as anyone. Actually, they said, you're probably better than some people. But Derek, Derek equality was good enough, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, that's how he became who he was. And it was forceful and, and had no doubt that women were at least equal to men. Now, I sometimes say that Derek was a better feminist than I am because he actually thought women were superior to men, and I disagreed with him. We would have these, we had actually friendly conversations <laughs> in public about that. <laughs> where I, I would be, I would be on the side saying, no, 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 no. I just want to be equal. I don't want to be superior. Mm-hmm. And, um, but he had met some of these women now who seem to be, seem to be selling their soul to, uh, for, for power, uh, Mostly, mostly some white women, but some black women and other women of color. But no, Derek had Derek had very good um, had very good upbringing. He had people telling him, "You can do this." He was he, in fact, he was so confident that he. Uh, Many people, you know, when you're uh, a lawyer, you you can get uh, reciprocity from uh, one state to another. Derek was like, uh, he took all the tests. He was admitted by test to every <laughs> to every bar that he belonged to. Just why not? Just because. Yeah, I I want to I want to probe this when we come forward. Um, and mm-hmm. I'm sure the audience heard the same thing I just heard uh, that you were arguing <laughs> with your husband, uh, the preeminent scholar Derek Bell about uh, women being superior to men. I, I could hear a lot of women all across the country saying, right on, brother, right on, brother, uh, when you said that. Uh, they're taking Derek Bell's side. But you would argue with Derek Bell about women being superior to men. Uh, I'm curious as to his argument 
And I'm curious as to your argument. Uh, this audience uh, knows, many in this audience know that I had a I had a fight with my uh, with my Angelo for almost 27 years, uh, almost 30 years. We fought about uh, what is the greatest virtue, love or courage. And every time we got together, every time we talked over 27 years, we fought about that question. What is the greatest virtue, love or courage? I took love. Uh, Maya had courage, but we fought about it literally for 27 years, the greater virtue, love or courage. Here you come now with this story of you and Derek Bell arguing about whether women are in fact superior to men. I want to hear his argument. I want to hear your argument. And then we'll talk more about Blackbird singing with the author of that book, Dr. Janet Dewitt Bell, who you're listening to right now. And I'm glad about it on Tavis Smiley. For all the freedom loving folk, this is Tavis Smiley. I feel like Smart talk for curious people just like you. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Smiley. Tavis Smiley and Dr. Janet Dewitt Bell, uh, who I am honored to have on this program. Her new book is called Blackbird Singing, Inspiring Black Women's Speeches from the Civil War to the 21st Century. Uh, and we'll get back to that text in just a second. But she said something moments ago that has titillated me, and I'm sure many of you in the audience as well. And I want to uh, take her temperature on this. Um, so you were saying earlier, uh, Janet Dewitt-Bell, that you and your, your, your late, great, brilliant husband, uh, Derek Bell, would oftentimes have these debates about... Uh, whether women are in fact superior to men. And the irony is that the brother in the conversation, the male, Derek Bell, made the argument that women are in fact superior to men. You took the opposite. You said, no, we just want to be equal. Uh, but give me, give me, I'm just curious now, as I said earlier, it reminded me of the argument that Maya and I had, Maya Angelo, for 27 years about love versus courage. So give me Derek Bell's thesis and then give me your thesis. I want to hear both. Derek felt that given the opportunities women would outperform men, but he, he was also he was also informed a bit by his experience, and I think he I think he became more hardened in his position, to be honest, in his experience at teaching at Harvard. He started at Harvard in 1969. He was tenured in 71. That was at the time when when Harvard had admitted first substantial group of people of color and women. Mm -hmm. And that time, women were really poorly treated. And Derek took, and because both Derek and Jewel were sensitive to that fact, the women knew all races, knew that they could come to Derek Bell any time of day and night, uh, and their honor would be intact, and they could tell him their stories. And he took up their causes. And so he was adored by women. So I would try, I, I would try to, and Jewel did that too. We say, okay, okay, you have a little bit of that halo effect from all, from all these women mm -hmm. who, to this day, if you meet them, they still adore him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and with good reason. But I was, I was brought up by this mother who said, who was, um, self-educated. She only went to eighth grade. She was born and raised in rural Arkansas, but she was adamant about equality and that we were all equal. Um, I've, I've, I think back on my life with my mother. I adore her. She's, I have dedicated this book to her, mm -hmm. but my mother was the kind of person who would see beauty in everybody. And the rest of us are going, where, where, what, what, what are you, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. But her thing was equality and she said you know we it's she you don't get points 
for thinking of people. You, you recognize people's differences, but not in simplistic ways. But differences did not mean negative or positive necessarily. By that, she's talking about physical di- dis, uh, differences, differences in sex. And mm-hmm. she was way ahead of her time in terms of differences in sexuality. And, you know, uh, at one point, my, my oldest brother, who's five years older than I, and I, he had hired, this was 40 years ago, he hired a, a, a lesbian for his office uh, manager, mm-hmm. and I hired a gay man for my assistant. And we were talking to my mother, my mother's looking at us, and she's blinking. And then she said, it's like we were thinking, oh, she's going to say, oh, that's, that's nice, give us some sort of uh, strokes for mm-hmm. being enlightened or something. My mother looked at us, and she said, you don't get any credit for treating people like people. Mm. And that's, so that, that, that mm. hard position on equality, which is, what, which is what I took with Derek. But he was so funny, and uh, the funny story was, you, at, in, you know, in law schools and other schools, you hire fellows. Right. And so for like 12 years in a row, all of his fellows were women. And I said, Derek, you can't just hire women. And he looked at me with those big, beautiful eyes, and he said, and why is that? And I said, because it's not right. And he just he shrugged his shoulder, and I said, okay, I'm going to take a picket sign, and I'm going to picket your office until you hire a man. <laughs> and he looked at me, and he said, you wouldn't do that. And then he looked again, and he said, Yes, you would. Yes, you would. <laughs> <laughs> but the women who had formed a bond over these twelve years were like, "Why are you doing this to us? We had our we had our little sorority going here. You messed us up." <laughs> I, now here's 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 right here's right here's where I side with Derek Bell, Professor Bell, the late great Derek Bell. Here's where I side with him. I have long believed, and I I've, I've learned this over many miles. I've long believed, though, that if you want something done right, you ask a woman to do it. I, I stand with him on that. If you want it done right, ask a woman to do it. Ask a black woman to do it if you want it done right. So I, I, I stand with him in, in, in that regard, but I, but I hear your point about... Uh, may, I, may I say something? Sure, you can. It's, it's not so much superior right. in terms of human beings. It's superior performance. Okay. we know okay. that if we make one mistake... Mm-hmm. They're going to concentrate on that mistake and not the overall good works that have been that have been done. And we see it now with all of this so-called plagiarism stuff. It's yeah. like Bill Ackman's wife can make mistakes, yeah. but other people are doing. They try to criminalize the behavior for honest for honest mistakes. Yeah. So that's what it is. Black women know that if we get the opportunity, yeah. most of us do. We're, we're going to we're going to perform. No, we're I, going to outperform you if we can. No, I I, <laughs> I I received that phrase superior performance. As a matter of fact, I was in a meeting with somebody yesterday who's probably listing right now. I'm not going to call his name out. Okay. I was, but I literally was in a meeting yesterday. My mind just went to this, and we were talking about uh, a particular opening or openings. And this person in the meeting said, "But we have to hire women for this." I'm like, "Why is that?" And he explained how women just do this job better. And so he left the meeting on his way to go find some women for these pop- for these opportunities because women, uh, to your point, uh, engage and offer you a superior performance. So you're not the only one that feels that way. There are a bunch of us men who feel that way as well. But let me just say this. <laughs> I, I want to go back to this yeah. phrase, though, because you said something a moment ago that just uh, just arrested me. Mm-hmm. Every day, as you've heard me say before, I, I leave this studio smarter every day than when I came in. And every day I walk out of here with two or three things that just resonate with me for the next 24 hours that somebody said to me. 
Uh, it sometimes happens in the first hour, sometimes second hour, sometimes the third hour, sometimes all three hours. But I've just heard the phrase I'm going to hold on to for the rest of this day and wrestle with and marinate on and process. And it is the phrase that you just quoted uh, from your mother. You do not mm -hmm. get credit for treating people like people. Oh, she, she, oh, she Lord, believed Jesus, that. Oh, Lord Jesus, that's a strong line. <laughs> yes, you know, it's so funny. There, I, I say I feel sorry for people who never met my mother as I feel sorry for people who never had a chance to meet Derek. Sure. Just to, I mean, I cannot believe my good fortune, yeah. how uh, those extraordinary people who I'm still, I still look up to the heavens and try to live up to mm. to the examples well, that they set. That is the phrase of the day. You do not get credit for treating people like people. Her book is called Blackbird Singing, Inspiring Black Women's Speeches from the Civil War to the 21st Century. I want to delve into a couple of these speeches. I'll let her uh, 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 pick herself. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm curious as to why those speeches made the cut. Obviously, there are a whole lot more speeches that she could have put in here, uh, but there are a handful that actually made the cut. I'm going to ask uh, uh, Janet Dewitt-Bell, Dr. Janet Dewitt-Bell, when we come forward, to just uh, unpack a couple of the, the speeches in this book and why they, in fact, made the cut. You're listening to Janet Dewitt-Bell right now on Tavis Smiley. From the Merck Park with love, 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 this is Tavis Smiley. Let's get back to more of Tavis Smiley right now. Watching my time is getting away from me. I've enjoyed this conversation immensely with Dr. Janet Dewitt-Bell, author of the new book, Black Birds Singing, Inspiring Black Women's Speeches from the Civil War to the 21st Century. Whenever you do a book like this, there's always more content than you have space for. I wonder, yes. if, you might, I wonder if you might just queue up a couple, uh, uh, a couple of speeches that did, in fact, make the cut, and tell me why. Okay, I wanted to look at some of the themes of the, of the women. The women talked in many instances ab about peace and getting back to your conversation with Maya Angelou uh, about love. Mm -hmm. And there's a one speech in there by the great Barbara Lee, and this was done in 2004 at the famous Riverside Church, where she's talking about, you know, uh, she says, I leave you now again. Uh, with the words of Dr. King when he spoke from this pulpit in 1967, as he stood firm on behalf of the gospel of peace, as he asked those gathered here to look beyond Vietnam, he said, If we do not act, we shall surely be dragged down the long, dark, and shameful corridors of time, reserved for those who possess power without compassion, might without morality, and strength without sight. Mm -hmm. And he went on to say, the choice is ours. And though we might prefer it otherwise, we must choose in this crucial moment of human history. Hello. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and then there are two others. If we have time, I'd like to mention uh, sure, Audre no. Lorde oh, yes. and, and, and end with um, Maya Angelou. I want to read a little bit. Uh, Audre Lorde, of course, who uh, talked about age, age, race, sex, and class, and mm -hmm. women redefining difference. And and she says she she never let she she never took the easy route. She really uh, her language is very precise and it's very provocative. And she says much of Western European history conditions us to see human differences in simplistic opposition to each other, dominant, subordinate good, bad, up, down, superior, inferior. 
in a society where the good is defined in terms of profit rather than in terms of human need, there must always be some group of people through systematized oppression can be made to feel surplus to occupy the place of the dehumanized inferior. Within this society, that group is made up of black and third world people, working class people, older people, and women. Mm. And I'll end with this one complicated paragraph that she says. I mean, it's so much, so much good stuff there, but she says, as a, this, this is Audre Lorde talking, as a 49-year-old black, lesbian, feminist, socialist mother of two, <laughs> including one boy, and a member of an interracial couple, I usually find myself a part of some group defined as other, deviant, inferior, or just plain wrong. Traditionally, in American society, it is the members of oppressed, objectified groups who are expected to stretch out and bridge the gap between the actualities of our lives and the consciousness of our oppressor. Mm. I mean, and it, she goes on, it is just incredible where she talks about the responsibility that we have to as oppressed to teach the oppressors their mistake and to teach people who would be who would be oppressors the their actual right path to go i was i have i have a term for it that she certainly did not mention and probably harsher than she would say is you know that when we look at the um the dominance of the um white male uh Structure mm-hmm. the, those who those who might think that they are superior, and you see in terms of climate and other things sure. where you know that we have to break our murder suicide pact with them. Mm-hmm. We can't. We say you know you are leading us down the wrong the wrong way, and you and you are taking our children and our future with you, and we must stand in the breach. Yep, that's it. Stand in the breach. Her name is uh, Janet Dewitt Bell, Dr. Janet Dewitt Bell. Her book is called Blackbird Singing, Inspiring Black Women's Speeches from the Civil War to the 21st Century. Uh, I can tell Dr. Uh, Janet Dewitt Bell right now that I'm getting boxes of these books uh, to give to every woman colleague here uh, at my home station in L.A., KBLA Talk 1580, those on the air, those in the building. Uh, this will be my gift uh, to every one of them. Uh, it's a powerful, powerful book with these speeches by these brilliant black women like Audre Lorde, Barbara Lee, and others. Our remaining moments at Dr. Janet Do It Bell when we come forward on KBLA. Nope, when we come forward on Tabby Smiley. There we go. Unapologetically progressive. progressive. Unapologetically black. Black, black, black. You're tapped into Tabby Smiley. Tabby Smiley. He's rooting for everybody black. Everybody black. black. More of Tabby Smiley coming your way right now. Right now. Right now. Just uh, three minutes left here. Three minutes left with our guest, Dr. Janet Do It Bell, author of the book Black Birds Singing, Inspiring Black Women's Speeches. From the Civil War to the 21st century, um, Janet Dewitt Bell, what what do you hope um, the the takeaway will be uh, from uh, those persons who read this book? And I assume you're going to tell me that uh, you agree with me that this book is not just for Black women, although it uh, it mm-hmm. uh, features the speeches of brilliant Black women. Yes, I I do agree with you, and what I want to people to take away from this is inspiration. And you talk about. Uh, you talking uh, to Maya Angelou, what is uh, love or courage, mm-hmm. or love and courage. And so I wanted to end, um, I believe in letting the women that I write about, uh, that's part of my scholarship, 
speak for themselves. Sure. So I'd like to I'd like to read just a little bit about Maya Angelou, sure. and you can and you can let me know when we've run out of time. Okay. Uh, you know, Maya Angelou, who's a contemporary of Derek's, by the way, mm-hmm. and I, I write in that that she not only knew why the caged bird sings, she set free the aspirations of countless people, not only in the arts but in social justice working with Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King at the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. And let me add that she was modest and kind. When I started producing uh, in 6970, she came on the show that I produced often, and she was always just lovely. Oh, yes. uh, and many of us remember that she delivered the poem on the Pulse of Morning yes. at the 1993 inauguration of President Bill Clinton right. and was later awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom by Barack Obama in 2010. And her poem, just part of it, was an anthem of hope, ending with these words. For a new beginning, do not be wedded forever to fear, yoked eternally to brutishness. Here, on the pulse of this new day, you may have the grace to look up and out and into your sister's eyes and into your brother's face, your country, and say simply, very simply, with hope, good morning. Maya Angelou's words epitomize the themes throughout Blackbird singing. Yes. Speaking truth to power, along with calls for decency, compassion, peace, justice, freedom, and love. Mm-hmm. And speaking of that, Tava Smiley, I have to say, you know I love you. I say that I think you're great. Uh, you have done so much for so many of us, and your generosity needs to be acknowledged as well. So I thank you, and I love you, and I really appreciate the opportunity to share Blackbird singing with you and your audience. I love you back, and there ain't nothing you can do about it. I just love you. Uh, <laughs> the book is called Blackbird Singing, Inspiring Black Women's Speeches from the Civil War to the 21st Century. You made the connection between uh, Maya Angelou and Dr. King. Uh, the greater connection, as you well know, was that Maya was born on April 4. Dr. King assassinated on April 4. Oh, yeah. Uh, yes. So her birthday uh, is uh, the same day as his assassination. And she was in her kitchen, mm-hmm. in her kitchen in, at her brownstone in Harlem, making mm-hmm. a special dinner for her friends for her birthday that night when word came that Dr. King had been assassinated in Memphis. And so she was forever connected mm-hmm. to that date for the rest of her life. But I, I love mm-hmm. the connection between the two of them. The book, once again, is called Blackbird Singing. Inspiring Black Women's Speeches from the Civil War to the 21st Century. The author is Dr. Janet Dewart-Bell. I'll talk to you soon. Stay strong. Good to have you on this program once again. Thank you very much. Love you much.